I have the cheat list of what slide number that is. A slide number 11 for main point three. Here we go. Solomon begins by explaining what the book of Proverbs will do. He begins by explaining what the book of Proverbs will do. Uh, remember we had point one where we, we dealt with Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Point two, the Proverbs of Solomon, and asked ourselves what Proverbs are. And then now main point three, Solomon begins by explaining what the book of Proverbs will do. That's verses two through six, and how to get started. That's the fear of the Lord in verse seven. So what's this book going to do to us? Well, this book is going to allow us, is going to equip us to know wisdom and instruction. Those are good things to know, right? This book will equip us to discern the sayings of understanding, including the sayings of understanding in this book. Okay, This book will equip us to receive instruction in wise behavior. Well, this book is instruction in wise behavior, but it also equips us in order to receive itself to receive additional instruction in wise behavior. Um, righteousness, at justice, and equity. There's actually four objects for to receive instruction there in verse 3. Verse 4, what does this book do to us? This book equips us to give prudence to the naive. And if you don't think you're naive, guess again, we're all naive in some ways. Okay, To the youth especially. They are extra naive, but don't limit naivete to the youth. Everybody is naive in certain ways, in certain applications. The youth especially. But even the wise man will hear an increase in understanding. He doesn't reach a point where he says, well, I'm past that. I don't need Proverbs anymore. I don't need wisdom anymore. No, even a wise man will hear an increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Well, if he already has understanding, what does he need wise counsel for? He should just use his understanding and be done with it. Ah, see, somebody with that attitude doesn't have the understanding he thinks he has. That's the point. The more that we obtain wisdom, the more we realize we are in need of more wisdom. Then finally, verse 6, to understand a proverb and a figure. Again, the expression would be uh, the book of Proverbs. uh, Studying the book of Proverbs will equip the believer to understand a proverb and a figure. Studying the book of Proverbs will equip the believer to understand the words of the wise and their riddles. All right? That's what the book of Proverbs will do. How do you get started? That's verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. That means that all day, every day, that means that we need to be cultivating the attitude of reverence before our God. We need to be reminding ourselves that He is the potter and we are the clay. We need to be adjusting constantly in our humility the attitude that um, we are in, in fear and trembling during our time of stay upon this earth, that uh, we are living our lives in the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. All right, we have to constantly be adjusting our thinking, our attitude, our humility uh, uh, in order to uh, fulfill this verse here. All right, so this is where we are. We got a good start on it last week, I thought, and I want to pick up on it. So we had subpoints A, B, and C. Studying Proverbs, this is A, studying Proverbs equips the reader to know wisdom and disciplined instruction. Wisdom and disciplined instruction, they come in a tandem. All right? It's not just obtaining wisdom in isolation. It's not just learning a bunch of stuff so that you are wise. 
Um, you can know a whole lot of stuff and have no wisdom in your life and be totally undisciplined in how you conduct your life. There's a lot of smart people out there that have no wisdom at all, so don't confuse knowledge with wisdom. And uh, also to have that undisciplined life, the unstable life. The Bible doesn't want us to be tossed to and fro. The Bible doesn't want us to be undisciplined. We should constantly be under God the Father's disciplined instruction. And this is what Proverbs equips us to do. Now, this wisdom, of course, is despised by the foolishness of the world. Both aspects are despised. God's wisdom is despised, but also disciplined instruction is despised. The disciplined instruction is despised time and time and time again. Our whole culture is promoting um, undiscipline. The whole culture is promoting the, uh, you know, the, the rights of the child and the free expression of our personality and all this other stuff. And who are you to, uh, to limit the, the fun I'm having, all right? Disciplined instruction, the idea that it takes hard work, the idea that uh, there is uh, consequences for failing to measure up to God's standards of righteousness. Uh, this cosmos hates that. Point B, studying Proverbs equips the reader to discern the sayings of discernment, to bean the binah, as it were, to discern the sayings of discernment. And we should discern we should, as we read in Second Timothy, rightly divide. We should cut in two. If we draw the line properly, then, then we have this part on that side and that part on that side, and we drew the line appropriately. That's what discernment is. Discernment means that we are distinguishing between two courses of action, the way of foolishness or the way of righteousness. Which one do you want to pursue? Pleasing God or not pleasing God? Which do you want to pursue? You want to go to heaven or you want to go to hell? All right, it's, it's, it's a matter of absolutes. Again, the world hates this. And the world actually actively tries to hinder you from doing this. Because they tell you if you're, if you're discerning, then that's wrong. You're judgmental. And they say you shouldn't be judgmental. And, and you shouldn't be critical. And what they're really saying is stop thinking. <laughs> Just do what you're going to do. Be happy. Let them do what they're going to do. They're going to be happy. Don't be judgmental. Which they mean is don't be discerning. Don't look at things with God's lenses. Of course, careful discernment is necessary because there is much in life that has the appearance of wisdom. And you've got to filter that out. You've got to rightly divide and say, no, this is truth. I'm going to cling to this. This is evil. I want to I abhor that. Remember, this is what unhypocritical love is all about. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. If you don't do that, then you're a hypocrite in your love. So, of course, we have to discern And Proverbs will equip us to discern. Proverbs will fix in our thinking the duality of what we're dealing with. The the way of righteousness or the way of the fool. And we'll be able to just discern properly and say, I'm not going to do that. That's the way of the fool. Right? That's what Proverbs will do for us. So here's the first two um, benefits to studying Proverbs. And and beyond studying, I would say studying and um, embracing and adopting and this is what we want to do. It's not just enough to study it, but you're going to embrace it and employ it in your life. Okay? There's a lot of things I study that I don't embrace and employ in my life. All right? Um, but Proverbs, the, the Word of God is not, is not that. So, thirdly then, studying Proverbs, embracing the truth of Proverbs, and employing Proverbs in your life equips the reader to accept the disciplined instruction, the musar, the disciplined instruction 
for four objects. Insightful, successful living, righteousness, justice, and uprightness. Four objects that uh, complete this sentence here in verse 3. Studying Proverbs equips the reader to accept, to accept the disciplined instruction. Not everyone can accept it. A lot of people don't put up with it. It's too much work, or it's not pleasant, or it's, uh, it requires humility. But as it says here, to receive, to receive Musar in wise behavior or successful living. We're going to talk about that. Righteousness, justice, and equity. These dominant themes of Scripture. And studying Proverbs equips us to receive all this. I think the main impact on receive, of course, as I say, to accept. Um, you have to accept it. You have to embrace it. That's why I said it's not just simply learning stuff, but it's embracing it, it's employing it, it's making it a part of your daily life. Disciplined instruction. Disciplined uh, instruction. The paideia is how the, the Greek renders it in the Septuagint. The paideia is what we have in the New Testament, where you train up a child in the way he should go. Where you train up a child and then nurture in the admonition. That's the discipline of the Lord. Okay, It's a disciplined instruction. Uh, Proverbs 2 and verse 9 also comes back to this idea. Notice uh, there's a great big if in this chapter. My son, if you will receive my words. Because <laughs> just because I'm speaking them doesn't mean you're receiving them, right? You know that. You know that as a, as a student. You know that as a parent. You know that as a wife. You know that as a husband. All right. You know that you can say things that just don't get heard. Okay, and that's true for parents to children. That's true with husbands to wives and wives to husbands, um, both directions. Okay, I'm not picking on one. The uh, the idea of receiving my words is an active responsibility, not a passive thing. You must actively humble yourself to receive instruction, and treasure my commandments within you. As, again, that's an active activity on the part of the disciple, on the part of the learner to treasure the commandments within you, to count them as valuable, to guard them. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Those are, those are the commands. We'll get to those. But as you do these, then there's going to be consequences. And um, you'll notice, um, then in verse 5, you will discern the fear of the Lord. Then you will discover the knowledge of God. Only then. For the Lord gives wisdom, it says in verse 6, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. We're going to learn about what does it mean to be upright. That's part of this. That's the uprightness here in our verse today. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. This is why you want to be a moral, upstanding, not just a moral, upstanding citizen in your community. The value of that means you don't go to jail. But you want to be a moral, upstanding uh, servant of the Lord, humble before Him, walking in the integrity of your heart. As it says, guarding, verse 8 of chapter 2, guarding the paths of justice, and He preserves the way of His godly ones, then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. It's got to become a way of life. It's got to become how you think. It's got to become your whole attitude. It shapes who you are. If, if the Word of God is just something you check out every so often, here and there, 
you know, like every so often, every, you know, four or five days, whatever, I think about it and I open up the sports page and I see what the standings are in the American League West and then I, okay, then I ignore it for a few more days, okay? I'm not following it daily. I'm not following it moment by moment. I'm not so in tune with baseball. I used to be. I'm not so in tune with it that I know absolutely every game that's going to happen today and every starting pitcher and every lineup. I know all the injury reports. I used to. used to know all that stuff. I don't care anymore. Okay? Once a week, twice a week, once a month. Find out. Okay. Uh, How many games out are they? That kind of thing. Just follow it as a casual interest. And that's fine with baseball. That's fine with anything. That's fine with politics. That's fine with the weather. You know, I check the weather about once a month or so to see if there's still weather. Um, but, But the Word of God... See, here's the thing. How many believers, that's their attitude to the Word of God. You know, once a week, once a month, take her to leave it. You know, open a Bible, see if God's still there kind of thing. That's not living in the Word of God. That's not letting the, 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 the wisdom of, of what is described here, that's not letting God's wisdom transform who you are and shape how you think and shape how you look at things and shape how you make decisions, shape how you live your life. You want to have a successful life? It's not measured by the square footage of your house or the, the uh, bank account you're leaving to your children. It's described right here. So let's talk about successful living. It's the very first one on the list. Up insightful or successful living, along with righteousness, justice, and uprightness. It's kind of remarkable that in that picking order, insightful living uh, beats out righteousness, justice, and uprightness. To, to list them in that order, I find remarkable. All right, so insightful, um, the disciplined instruction in wisdom, equips me to be successful. The verb is sakal. S-A-K-A-L. And it's the soft ass. It's not the sh. It's the s. In other words, it's seen, not sheen. Sakal. This is where Hebrew just drives you mad, right? Because the difference is that little dot right there above the, uh, you see this W looking letter here? That's your scene, right? But because the dot is right there, it's s. If the dot was over here, it would be sh. That's why you just go insane and blind, half blind trying to read these Hebrew letters. So it's not shakal, it's sakal. 7919 is the strongest concordance number. There are 60 Old Testament uses, and every single one is worth looking at. Okay? I don't know, we're not going to look at all of them. But there was a good chunk of them that is worth looking at to, to fix in our mind what does it mean to be successful? Or what does it mean to have insight? What does it mean to be prosperous? And why are those interchangeable terms? <laughs> okay? In English, we tend to not think of them interchangeably. We wouldn't think of them as synonyms. We wouldn't think of them as, as even being related. I mean, I could, if I have insight... That doesn't mean I'm successful. That doesn't mean I'm prosperous. Um, Well, in the Hebrew way of thinking, it does. In the Hebrew meaning, how would you ever be prosperous without insight? How would you ever be successful without insight? In the Hebrew way of thinking, these are concepts that do truly blend and that you won't have the one without the other. 
Okay, And this is not chachmah, this is not wisdom. The, the chachmah that we saw in the introduction, the wisdom that we want to uh, glean, that's God's wisdom that, that shapes our thinking and so forth. It has a practical expression in what we do. All right, Sakal is where things get practical. Sakal is where we have insight into daily activity. And uh, different things here. If, you, if you're skillful in, in doing things, if you have insight in how to get things done, all right? I think a lot of people can have wisdom but not insight. That's why there's a distinction between chachma and shakal. Okay? Sure, they've got wisdom in general, but the insight to apply that wisdom particularly in this circumstance... I think that with Sawkal, we're going to get very focused. Particular whiz, wise insight in, apl- in daily application. That's what we're looking at with Sawkal. And so sometimes it's rendered as success, sometimes it's rendered with prospering. Okay? And hopefully, as we see some of these verses, it'll start to make sense. Uh, starting in Genesis 3 6, when Eve was lusting after that fruit, when Eve was lusting after that fruit. Do you remember the description there in Genesis 3? She saw that it was attractive. <clears throat> when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one sakal. All right? Not chachma, not chacham, not wise in terms of wisdom, in terms of, of uh, what we think of as wisdom. Desirable to make one insightful, successful, prudent, uh, prospering. Okay? And here's another thing. I think people want this, but they don't want the other. Right? They want to know how to be skillful businessmen. They want to know how to be skillful. uh, They want to know how to have insight in economics, insight in politics, insight in child raising, insight in whatever. And if they can get that without God's wisdom, they will. They'll use the world's wisdom to try to get this kind of insight. Obviously, the Bible doesn't have us do that. (laughs) The Bible has us embrace God's wisdom to start, the fear of the Lord and God's wisdom, where we become wise with chachmah. Then we can obtain this kind of success and this kind of skill and this kind of insight and prosperity. In other words, we we don't want to try to have the sakal without the chachmah if that makes sense. So there's our first use. And the woman saw that it was desirable to make one wise, skillful, insightful, successful. And that's what she wanted. You know, when all of the kings of the earth were coming to Solomon, and they were all impressed with his wisdom, and they wanted to glean from that wisdom, how much of that interest was spiritually driven and how much of that, of that interest was secular? Say, how much were they, did they really want the fear of the Lord and the wisdom from above? Did they want their shaping thinked by, uh, did, shaping thinked, did they want their thinking shaped by divine norms and standards? Or were they really just looking for the functional insight in how to run a country? Do they want to learn the skill set for foreign policy, domestic policy, economics, and everything else to run a nation? 
And, and about all those kings and queens that traveled all that distance, there's only the one that we know of that actually communicated a divine viewpoint from the perspective of Yahweh, and that was the Queen of Sheba and, and her perspective. Okay, let's look at a few more of these. Joshua 1, verse 7 and verse 8. Old man dies, young man takes over. Tendency to uh, feel inadequate, to feel uh, nervous, to think like, oh my goodness, why couldn't the old man stick around longer and why couldn't Moses do this? Well, sit unto death. It's not the Lord's will. He can't enter into the promised land. Joshua, you've got to take over. And besides, you're not that young man anymore anyway. You've lived through the 40 years of the wilderness. Time to step up in your generation. So he says, um, verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have sakhal. You may have success wherever you go. All right? Insight, success, prosperity. The practical application of God's wisdom exhibited on display in earthly achievements, such as conquering a land and establishing a nation. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So in other words, study the Word of God and live the Word of God. Perception and application of Bible doctrine. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Actually, not prosperous there. Success is our term in verse 8. So, uh, is this wisdom? Again, I think the translation that we started with in Proverbs deals with um, the instruction in insightful living or instruction in uh, wise behavior. That's how the New American Standard rendered it. Wise behavior. Well, okay. But if we can avoid the term wise or wisdom, then maybe we can keep a distinction between chachmah and and Sokal, wise behavior, successful living. I like successful living. It's one of the English translations in one of my Bibles. 1 Samuel 18. There's four uses in 1 Samuel 18. What's happening in 1 Samuel 18? Remember? Well, David killed Goliath in chapter 17. And then uh, he enters into Saul's service and Chapter 18, he forms a friendship with Jonathan in chapter 18, and then things get ugly between Saul and David. But in these verses, verse 5, 14, 15, and 30, all within 1 Samuel, I find it interesting. Um, So uh, the chapter begins, It came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan, in other words, divested himself as the heir apparent, as the crown prince. 
and, and understood the, the promise that Yahweh had made to David, that David was the next in line. David would be the next king. So David went out wherever Saul sent him, and Saul prospered. In other words, everything he did was with insight, was with wisdom, was with success. And Saul set him over the men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the peoples and also the sight of Saul's servants. Well, of course, if you're in the army, do you want a successful general or a loser? You know, who, who do you want over you as a commanding officer? Well, how about the guy that doesn't lose battles? How about a, a, a general with insight, with success, with prosperity, with wise behavior? So that's verse 5. Down to verse 14. Um, well, you can see there's the jealousy here. The evil spirit from God came mightily on Saul there in verse 10. And he starts chucking spears. And, uh, and then he gets afraid because David escaped from his presence twice. That, that right there speaks volumes, doesn't it? Saul hurled the spear for he thought it will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence Twice. Would you stick around for the second time? <laughs> you know? I mean, David is such a, 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 just a, an amazing hero of the faith here. He's, he's intimate with the Lord. He's walking with wisdom. He's walking with skill. He survives an assassination attempt and sticks around. He says, I'm not afraid of you. That's just the demons making you throw those, those uh, spears. So Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him. But he had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. See, well, okay, I don't want you around me, so let me dispatch you here. Go to the front line and start uh, assigning him to dangerous assignments. Okay? Remarkably enough, this is the very tactic that David will use in order to murder Uriah. But it was the tactic that Saul used to try to murder David. Problem was, David was prospering. Saw cow. David was sawcalling in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. He couldn't lose. He had such insight. He, every battle he approached, he saw the, you know, had the, the wisdom and skill to, to have the victory. However that was, God was with him. And so when Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. Made it even worse. Made it even worse. Now this tells you right away where your attitude is. If you can't abide the success of others... What does that tell you about your own attitude before the Lord? You should be thrilled if the Lord is with somebody and he has success in something. That ought to be marvelous. Celebrate in that. Join in that. Be happy on their behalf for their sake. Don't just grumble over, well, I never had a victory like that. Yeah, well, get a clue. Here's why. <laughs> he was humble before the Lord. Verse 30, the final verse of this chapter. So the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle. Let's see, is there more here in between? Well, a longer story about how you can deserve the right to uh, marry the king's daughter. I like it. Of all the schemes that Saul ever came up with to try to kill David, the most devious was giving him his daughter. <laughs> you know? You ever think about that? Uh, giving the daughter was another assassination attempt. All right. So the chapter ends. So the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle, and it happened as often as they went out that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so his name was highly esteemed. 
success, insight, successful living. And it comes about not because you're so smart and you do all these things and you take the glory. It comes about because you humble yourself in the presence of the Lord. You walk with the Lord. And then uh, He grants the success. Okay, So like, seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. You want to be a successful uh, pastor, a successful uh, truck driver, or a successful whatever. Every occupation under the sun. You want to have success, insight? You want to find favor in the eyes of God and man? Well, find favor in the eyes of God to start with. Humble yourself before Him. Fear of the Lord, okay? 1 Kings 2. We see that this was not only the pattern for... uh, David, but we're going to see it played out now in Solomon's life. As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord, your God. This is, this is your number one priority as king. Your number one priority is pastor. Your number one priority is father, is husband, is whatever you're doing. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His ordinances, His testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may sakal, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. You want to be a successful king, a successful president, a successful truck driver, a successful, uh, why do I pick on truck drivers? Successful uh, guitar salesman, successful, uh, just look around the room and start naming stuff off, okay? Doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, whatever it is. You want to be successful? The world tells you you can follow the world system. God tells you, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Develop your spiritual character. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. You say, really? Do I believe that? Do I believe that if I'm, if I'm growing in the grace and knowledge, if I am a strong believer in the wisdom of God and His word, that that's going to make me a better heart surgeon, a better, better neurosurgeon, a better truck driver, a better, there I go again, a better... Uh, Ditch digger or whatever, okay? Yes. Of course I believe that because that's what this says. Because I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be molded into the image of Christ. My thinking is going to be shaped after his thinking. And so the career success in whatever field of vocational pursuit I happen to be in, obviously there's going to be a reflection in that. I'm also going to be a better husband, a better father, okay? All these other things come second to serving the Lord first. Also, don't confuse that with the square footage of your house or the, the uh, horsepower of your car or the hotness of your wife or all the other things that the world will uh, gauge as what it means to be successful. All right. Second Kings 18.7.
You know, it's interesting, the, the admonition that uh, David gave Solomon, he didn't follow. Solomon died a wreck, died the sinner to death. The wisest man that ever lived was the biggest fool that ever lived, right? Um, but of all the kings following David, probably the one that came closest was Hezekiah. And we see it here. We're going to be learning a lot about Hezekiah in the upcoming Isaiah series, okay? And when it comes to Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord. Now, he was terrified because Hezekiah is king in the south and he watches king in the north. He, he sees the fall of the northern kingdom. And he thinks he's next. The armies of Assyria are surrounding Israel. But thanks to uh, the word of God, thanks to the prophetic ministry of Isaiah, Hezekiah gets an extra 15 years added to his life and he, he ends well. And he trusted the Lord. And we're, t- we're told that in verse 5, he trusted the Lord um, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah or among those who were before him. So between David and Hezekiah, there was no one that outdid him and nobody after him reached his level. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered, Sakhal. Wherever he went, he applied insight, insightful living, successful living. And where do you get that? Through the disciplined instruction of Proverbs. Why do you think it was? It was in the days of Hezekiah that they added a whole new collection of Proverbs to, uh, to the book, right? Chapters 25 and following, 25 through uh, 28, I think it is, that, that whole section of Proverbs got added to the book of Proverbs during the days of Hezekiah. It was Hezekiah's men that compiled those and created another addition to the canonical book of Proverbs. Wherever he went, he prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He said, I'm done paying your tribute. I'm serving the Lord. And he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and his territory from Watchtower to Fortified City. So there's the use of it there. All right. A couple of uses in Psalms that I find remarkable, including Psalm 2.10. Really, we're not looking at all 60 of these, but we are looking at a good, a good number of them. Psalm 2.10. Because what's Psalm 2 all about? Psalm 2 is about the Son of God reigning on the throne, the nations in an uproar. And uh, you shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter them like earthenware. Boy, I can't wait for that. Okay, This planet's going to be a whole lot different when Jesus Christ is seated on the throne in Jerusalem and, and uh, reigning over the Gentile nations with that rod of iron. Verse 10 says, Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Sakal. Show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. Primary responsibility of Gentile kings in the millennial kingdom is to worship Jesus Christ. Do homage to the Son that He not become angry. Because the Son is God. You have to worship God. That he not become angry, that you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. So there's the use of it there. Uh, Psalm 14, too. We're familiar with this, but we're not familiar that it's Sakal, I don't think. It's like uh, Eve looking at the tree. It's desirable to make one wise. Did you have any idea that was Sakal? No. Never even gave it a thought. Just assumed, make one wise. It's got to be Chachmah. No. Okay? I think that gives us a whole new understanding for what Eve's rebellion was really dealing with. Likewise in Psalm 14 too. 
A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who have saw cow. Are there any who saw cow? Who seek after God? They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Okay, This is not other expressions we might have for understanding. This is Sakao. And there is no one skilled, successful, prosperous. There is no one able to redeem. Because there is no one with the Sakao necessary until Jesus Christ comes with the Sakao necessary to understand to identify with our weaknesses, to understand the eternal justice of God, fulfill Psalm 53 and go to the cross. Because there are none who saw cow as Jesus Christ saw cows. Psalm 14, 2. Boy, I could preach that for a week. Psalm 119:99. The young man here. I have more saw cow than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. More insight. More successful living. More prosperity. More insight than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. It comes down to the fear of the Lord. It doesn't matter. Say, well, I've been in church for years. I know all this stuff. It's not about what you know. What are you living? How much fear do you have daily before the Lord? You know, so these elders he's talking about, um, I think they, uh, they've grown, uh, well, they're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They don't even know it. They've grown slothful. They've grown fat. And uh, wisdom's going to keep us from getting that in that condition too. Isaiah 52.13 Mentioned Isaiah just a moment ago. See, God looked down and He saw that there was no one who saw Cal. So He would have to send His Son to do it. No one in Adam has the saw Cal to redeem the lost estate of Adam. But His servant does. Behold, my servant will suck how. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of man. He will go through the most physical abuse on that day of his crucifixion. That's not the point, right? He's going to endure all that. He's going to stay faithful to the Father anyway because of his suck how. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. Or what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. The Gentiles are going to benefit because of the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. Anyway, there is no one who saw cows, and so he says, My servant, my son, will saw cow. The one uniquely suited to die on the cross to redeem us comes down to his sakal. See why this is important? Why we want to embrace the disciplined instruction of sakal, 
of insightful living, successful living, spiritual life, prosperity. That's what it comes down to. And we can be, we should be spiritually prosperous. We ought to be the the richest church in town. Okay? It has nothing to do with the uh, U.S. currency. (laughs) It has nothing to do with what uh, the secular world would consider negotiable instruments. Okay? But we have the spiritual prosperity as, as poor yet making many rich because we have Sokal, because we are conducting our spiritual walk with this insight of God's wisdom. Jeremiah 23.5. And I think the neat thing is, is that if Old Testament believers could embrace Proverbs and obtain Sokal, how much do New Testament believers have? Because we are in Christ and we have the abiding of the Holy Spirit. We have uh, two complete canons, the Hebrew and the Greek canons, in which to uh, pursue the, the fear of the Lord. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king, and he will sock how. He will act wisely. With insight, discernment, success. He will have a prosperous reign. He's not going to be a president six years into his administration and the whole country saying, does this guy know what he's doing? Right? Do we have a plan? Does he have a plan? When's he going to get a plan? When's he going to get a clue? All right? That's not Sokal. Jesus will reign with Sokal. He will reign as king and act wisely and Sokal and do justice and righteousness in the land. Based on that Sokal, of course he's going to do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell in secure, with us securely. And this is the name by which he will be called Yahweh Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. See, King Emmanuel will reign as Yahweh Tzidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Look forward to that. And then the rest of these all come out of the book of Daniel. How about that? The rest of these all come out of the book of Daniel. Daniel 1, 4 and 17. Remember the kind of uh, servants that Nebuchadnezzar wanted when he took hostages from Jerusalem? Told uh, Jehoiakim that he could stay king. He comes and he besieges Jerusalem. And uh, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and he plunders the city. And he says, all right now, I'll let you stay king. I won't destroy your city, but you have to be a good king. Do what you're told. Pay your tribute every year. And uh, to guarantee your good behavior, we're going to take some of your your boys as hostages. And so... uh, This is what happens here. So the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. So if King King Jehoiakim rebels, like we saw a few minutes ago in the Isaiah passage, that Hezekiah rebelled, Hezekiah defied the Assyrians, Hezekiah said, all right, I'm trusting in Yahweh, I'm not paying the Assyrian tribute. And he rebelled against Assyria, and God gave him success. Well, here's Nebuchadnezzar now saying, you're not going to rebel. You're going to be a vassal king. You're going to pay your tribute. And I'm taking hostages to guarantee that. This is the guarantee, right? So if you rebel, then I'm killing your hostages. So (laughs) that's when a boy finds out if his dad really loves him or not. (laughs) If you're being held hostage and dad rebels anyway, shows you what uh, what he thought of your life. 
Okay? But see, here's the thing. Daniel and his friends were so promoted and so exalted and so vital. Nebuchadnezzar just embraced them and used them and put them in office so that even when Jehoiakim does rebel, he doesn't kill the hostages. They're too useful for him. They're, they're, God had already granted them favor in their political service in, in Babylon. I find that extraordinary. Now, here's the qualifications. Youths in whom was no defect, who are good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with, and here's where we have the, the skill and the success, endowed with understanding, endowed with skill, and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. In other words, they, they're competent. Maybe that's not a better rendering of Sokal. Competency, <laughs> right? You have the insight to know what you're doing. And that's what it comes down to. Insight, success, prospering, competence. And so uh, he orders him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, and so he puts them to work. Um, puts them through school and then puts them to work. Uh, verse 17 of the same chapter. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And so we have Sakel that's uh, in that verse as well. Down to chapter 9, Daniel 9. Verse 22 and verse 25. Gabriel shows up. He's only three weeks late. But he said, but he comes to give him understanding, insight and understanding. He gave me instruction and tasked me, uh, talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you sokal, insight with understanding. Not just to know what it means, not just to understand its significance, but to have the insight to make use of it, to live it out. Uh, 70 weeks have been decreed. This is a, a powerful prophecy of Scripture. Verse 25, he says, So you are to know and discern. You are to know and have insight that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. You are to know that and have insight with respect to that. How many Christians today are totally ignorant of what the 69 sevens are all about or what the 70th seven is all about? They don't know and they don't have insight and they don't care. I've had people, I've had Christians look me right in the eye and say, I don't care about that eschatology stuff. You're supposed to. You have no frame of reference for the plan of God and what he's doing. No recognition of any of these things. And no wonder you can get tossed about. You can get all fearful. Someone can come along and get you all scared of the, of the tribulation. Convince you that the church has to go through the tribulation. Well, if you have knowledge and insight with respect to those 69 weeks, then you're not concerned at all about week number 70. We have nothing to do with that. We have nothing to do with the first 69. We got nothing to do with week 70. Anyway, knowledge and insight. Uh, chapter 11 and chapter 12. Daniel 11, 33 and 35 are the two verses here. Daniel 11, we have uh, 
Antiochus Epiphanes, the, the uh, foreshadowing of Antichrist. And it says that uh, by smooth words he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. All right, by smooth words. You got a political leader with a whole smooth words approach to things. Look out. And he's going to pervert those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. And those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. You see why insight is so important, why we want to have insight. It means we don't just have a much Bible knowledge. We don't, we're not just walking Bible encyclopedias. We can't just rattle off uh, facts and figures. That's not the limit of it. But because we know our God, we have insight with respect to what we're looking at. We know or we have discerning uh, uh, thinking with respect to the signs of the times. We can, see, we can see a smooth talker and not be sucked into his lies. We have insight for successful living. And this uh, was the case uh, for Antiochus Epiphanes, that there were great heroes among the Jewish people that didn't buy into his plan and program, that took up arms and stood against him. Of course, prophetically, it's going to happen again in the tribulation. There's going to be folks with insight that aren't going to buy into the smooth talking. They're not going to take the mark of the beast. They're not going to get on board with Satan's program in the, in the coming tribulation. So it says, uh, those who have insight, verse 33, among the people will give it, will give understanding to the many, yet they will fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity, by plunder for many days. They're going to pay a price for being faithful to the Lord. Same as the tribulational martyrs. Now when they fall, they will be granted a little help and many will join with them in hypocrisy. Verse 35, some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time because it is still to come at the appointed time. In other words, all of that suffering in our Antiochus Epiphany is foreshadowing of what's going to happen to the Jewish nation under Antichrist in the uh, time of Jacob's trouble. Finally, Daniel chapter 12, verse 3 and verse 10. Now we get into eschatology. Now we get into tribulation. And at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. This is a unique day. There's never been anything like it. There'll never be anything like it again. Daniel's 70 weeks. And it is for the purpose of God applying his wrath to Israel for their repentance and to the Gentile nations. It has nothing to do with the church. And it says, everyone who is found written in the book will be saved, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Two resurrections, one of life, one of death. But notice, those who have insight will shine brightly, like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Think about it. What will positive volition be like in the tribulation? Okay. It's going to shine brighter than you've ever imagined. We, we talk about it in our day and age. We're living in some apostasy right now. And the darker our culture becomes, the brighter our light shines, right? That's in the church age while Satan's program is still under restraint. Imagine what it's going to be like when Satan is unrestrained globally. Those who have insight, like the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, 
believers in the tribulational age that have not taken the mark. They're going to shine. They're going to shine brighter. Okay? Like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The, in, the insight of the end times is going to be absolutely necessary. Um, down to verse 10. He says, go your way, Daniel. These words are concealed and sealed up into the end time. You want to understand all these things. It's not for you. Tribulational believers are going to have to learn this. Not you. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. And those insightful tribulational saints, they're the ones that are going to have this mystery unlocked to where they're going to understand the 1,290 days, the 1,335 days. Not Daniel and not me. Okay? Not you. The insightful believers of the tribulational era will have this made clear to them. All right, so this is what insight is about. This is insight. This is successful living. This is um, being shaped by the Word of God so that as we live our lives, we have success. We have success in God's record book, not maybe in man's record book, but in God's record book, we have this insightful living, this successful living. Now, there are, there are certain kinds of psalms that are called maskils. And we're not going to read them all today. It would take forever, but, um, or not forever, but it would take longer than the five minutes we have remaining in class today. Um, but if you turn to Psalm 32, you'll see what I'm talking about. And then you've probably already written the rest of these down anyway, because I've had this slide up there for a while now. But it's a maskil. Psalm 32 is a maskil. You say, what's a maskil? Well, it is a thing of sakal. Okay, it's sakal with a uh, an M in front of it. <laughs> okay, um, which is of or from a thing of. So Psalm 32 is a psalm of David, a maskil. And then there's a footnote in the New American Standard Bible. Maybe yours has a similar footnote that says possibly a contemplative, didactic, or skillful psalm because they don't know what it is, but it comes from the verb sakal. It comes from what we're studying today in terms of humbling ourselves under the wisdom of God's Word so that we have insightful living, so that we have successful living. And so I believe it is a didactic, skillful psalm that these psalms will work hand-in-hand with Proverbs to equip the believer to skillful living, to insightful living. So a maskil is a psalm that embodies these insightful slash successful living. And there are 13 of them in the book of Psalms, including the ones you see listed there. Psalm 32 is a maskil. Psalm 42 is a maskil. Psalm 44 is a maskil. In fact, in almost every case, maskil only shows up in headings, psalm headings. There's only one place that it occurs outside of a heading. Psalm 42, for the choir director, a maskil of the sons of Korah. Psalm 44, Psalm 45. And a lot of these, by the way, um, are prophetic. They're millennial. They're looking forward. But while we're looking forward, we're going to have skillful living here and now. I think that's significant, especially for those 
folks that tell you that, I don't think eschatology is all that important. Right? A man tell me once, he says, I don't think doctrine is important. I think God just wants us to love one another. And I said, I agree with you. But I'm, I can't uh, obey that until I understand the doctrine of love. <laughs> and then I need to understand the doctrine of the church so I know who this one another group is anyway. Right? If you try to diminish doctrine, you're just, you're, you're, you're just a, a train wreck waiting to happen. Love one another. Yeah, do that without not, uh, doctrine, why don't you? Okay? Anyway, here's your list of the masculines in Scripture. Psalm 32, 42, 44, 45, 62, 63, 65, 66, 74, 78, 88, 89, and 142. Psalm 142. Those are your masculines. Well, disciplined instruction. Sakel is the first of four objects in what disciplined instruction produces. It also produces righteousness, judgment, and uprightness. In other words, what kind of uh, student do you produce if this is your type of instruction and wisdom? These four things. Insightful, skill, righteousness, justice, or judgment, and uprightness. Well, we'll have to come back. We'll do, we got one, got through one today. We'll see if we can get through the rest next week or however long it takes. And then we can start talking about the naive and the difference between the naive and the simple. All right. The idea of, of how do we stay naive or simple in, in innocence. We were to be innocent of evil. We're to be harmless as, as doves, but we should be shrewd as serpents. All right. And so, how do we maintain that balance of being properly naive and yet not improperly simple? <laughs> anyway, that's what we have coming up. So thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you for this time today. Uh, thank you for opening our eyes to what success is all about so we can be successful, Father, in our marriages and our families and our churches and our career path and our neighborhood and our politics and in all that we do. We want to be successful in every realm of life. But we want to be successful on your terms, by your definition, by your yardstick, not by the world's definitions or the world's yardstick. Um, they have their standards, Father, and their standards are, uh, are horrendous. So, Father, uh, I pray that you would open our eyes to these things, that you would humble us with, through the fear of the Lord, Father, that, so that we submit to the discipline and instruction, so that through that discipline and instruction, then, Father, all of these positive character traits can be manifest in our lives. I thank you, Father, that this is what your plan is called for. This is the discipline required. That there's no, uh, there's no quick shortcut. There's no instantaneous gratification. That uh, we don't know everything immediately. But uh, through the discipline instruction, here a little, there a little, under the discipline of your leading, these things are produced. And I thank you for that, Father. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.